Welcome to the Canine Classroom, a podcast for dog training professionals and dog enthusiasts where we discuss training, behavior, and everything in between. We're two friends and dog trainers that share a passion for dogs. We're constantly learning, exploring, and questioning each other's ideas as well as our own so we can become better at what we do. We're here to provide helpful advice, have open conversations, ask questions, get answers, as well as hear from colleagues and experts in the industry, regardless of method and training style. So take a seat and get your notepad out because class is in session. is in a massive crisis um because oh because there are a host of trainers that are not training and are excusing sometimes naughty sometimes uh bad often dangerous behavior as the dog being a dog and as um and a lot of the time it's alluded to it's that they allude to the fact that it's because of the breed so they'll they'll for example put up some sort of a video of a of a border collie who is parkouring and biting people and then they'll often talk about the fact that 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 you know that breed does do that when sheep do x y and z or when cattle do x y and z um and say, well, you know, it's a, it's a breed disposition and, and we, you know, we can't really, we shouldn't really be, we could manage it around people, but what do we expect from the dog? And it feels sometimes, so I've heard recently as well that people don't like hand feeding dogs anymore because they believe that it's starving them and they should have access to free food and all kinds of things that I, that just feel like an excuse not to train more than anything. At the same time, I'm witnessing uh, a whole bunch of people from one side of the industry who who lack the core mechanical skills, true trainer dog, and so become what I would describe as uh, armchair trainers and armchair behaviorists who go into a house and sit in the armchair and say, this is why the dog does this. Anthony's laughing because I said the same exact word. I went to school for for anthropology, um, and that was one of the terms that was used in anthropology for the people that would describe a civilization without actually going and living with them. So, you know, some guy sitting in his library, like hundreds of thousands of miles away, talking about some tribe in the middle of nowhere, like he knows everything about them, and like he's never actually been there. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. And it's like, um, and there's I mean, a lot of trainers like that for sure. Yeah, tons. And, and they go into the house and they write an 11 page report that says, Your dog's a border collie, and this is what border collies do, and this is why this blah, 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 blah. But it it's the art of dog training in that particular like cohort of people is being, it's been, it's just been lost. And I think. What, what I find fascinating is that um, it isn't a surprise that also that that cohort of dog trainers suffer so dramatically with imposter syndrome. And sometimes I kind of think, well, you're suffering with imposter syndrome because you shouldn't be here because you haven't got the skills. 
because you need to learn the skills and train the dog. So you're feeling like an imposter because you're an imposter. Yeah, I was going to say that imposter syndrome thing has become such a buzzword. And then it made me thinking, like, where are the imposters then? Like, everyone's like, I have imposter syndrome. And it's like, so but then, like, maybe some of you actually do. <laughs> yeah, maybe some of you actually should because you are. And maybe, yeah, yeah. I feel like that. I feel like anytime I've wanted to and at many stages of my career, like wanted to go and learn more or do more. And maybe this is a bad thing. I don't see it as a bad thing, but it came from a, of an insecurity of like, I feel like I could have done better and I didn't know how to. Yeah. So like, I want to go and learn from someone that maybe makes me feel better. And then I would get confidence from that. And I don't yeah. think there's something like wrong with that, to be honest. No, I don't think so either. But I think, I think this is, this is where, this is where my frustrations are coming from because I think that there's um like these days, ignorance is a choice. Like that there, there mm -hmm. is information everywhere there is access everywhere like it's not difficult to gain information to glean knowledge to watch people to train with people all of that kind of stuff particularly in our industry I'd say and so the the choosing not to learn those skills is a choice um and I think that's what I find frustrating and, that, and it comes back to what we were having a conversation about before we started recording when we were talking about you know a lot of trainers who are making excuses not to train the dog because of the dog's genetic predisposition or because of the dog's emotional state or because and none of those things all of those things are lenses to look through motivation but none of them are reasons not to train you in my opinion you can probably obedience yourself out of the vast majority of problems well and then like, i guess like to play devil's advocate for a second with that does that make it okay to obedience yourself out of a situation because i mean i know like i like i can hear like i can hear what like people are saying to a degree with certain things um in regards to oh well you know this is maybe not a training problem or we can just manage this by doing xyz and yeah you can and i know i have clients who don't want to train they're like look i really don't want to do the training. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And then, okay, I'll come up with some, you know, simple management plan of some strategies to address your problem. And I will say like that generally that's, that works in many cases. I'm not, I mean, that's just the client's choice. So, I mean, if they don't want to do certain training, I can see why sometimes, all right, fine. We can try and do something, but but I'm just curious, like, is, do you think that that's always right to, um, I guess, obedience your way out of it or? I think that it should always play a part. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's always necessarily the only part, but I think it should always play. I think training should always play a part. Yeah. The same way that if you have a, if you have an issue with a child, education should always play a part. Like, I think that it, it provides the dog with clarity as to what they should and shouldn't do. And it provides them with the tools, uh, better tools to manage the situation. I think that if we just manage, if we just manage, then often we're just either suppressing them or like channeling that inner drive to perform a behavior into something that is slightly more desirable for us, but equally as undesirable for the dog, which is why it's leaking out in the first place. Um, actually, I've got a really good I've got a really good example of this, which is there's a case that I'm working on at the moment of a Rottweiler cross American bulldog called Reggie, 
and he's like 47 kilos and he's like a big brute of a dog and he's got that kind of rotty attitude you know you have kind of two types of rottweilers you have the nice wiggly rottweilers <laughs> yeah who are like they lovely. roll and show their belly and kick their legs on the ground there <laughs> and then you've got your asshole rottweilers who are like they want to take over the world like they're they're like the epitome of the old school like they're, they're exactly what the old school you know like keeler trainers would describe as a dominant dog where they come in and they're like right i'm gonna fuck everything up now i'm gonna i'm gonna and I'm, and I'm gonna do it really seriously and like they mean it and they just want to control everything everything in the situation and they're very serious about it and they're very big about it um and he's he's one of those and and i went and i first went and saw them when i first went and saw them he had been put on flux team when he was eight months old All right um because he was just he was just a strong teenager like he didn't need prozac he was just a strong teenager of that particular breed they were told um you know never ever do anything that's going to cause any conflict between you and him um but in a way where they were like literally like trying to feed him in his crate to get him in his crate because they couldn't touch his collar to put him in his crate because otherwise he'd bite them and um the first training session I did with the clients I had to stand at the window and talk them through what to do through the window because I couldn't be in the same room as a dog Mm. um and and they were being like really bullied by this dog like there's no two ways about it like the dog was bullying them wholeheartedly he was doing exactly whatever the hell he pleased and they were basically told that giving him any structure or giving him any opinions or giving him any like real control was going to exacerbate the situation and cause more conflict and then they were also told you know they should give him a rest day and they should keep everything super calm and and it's like the the opposite of what that dog needed the absolute opposite so I went in there and did the the reverse obviously and taught her how to play with the dog and did a bark and taught her how to do a bark and hold so the dog had a really nice way of using it but actually we taught the dog an object guard as well because it's a resource guarder and it needed but it needed some outlet for that type of behavior and I like to use those sorts of exercises to almost play with the emotions of the dog so that something that was very serious and conflicty before turns into a game where there's a lot more jovial body language and it gives the owner a lot more opportunity to kind of play could I just interrupt could um for people who don't know would you just explain like what an object guard is um... yeah okay so we taught the dog to climb onto a platform and that when the owners were in a certain like proximity to that platform the dog's allowed to leave the platform and bite onto a toy and play with the toy and then the owner tells the dog to let go of the toy and the dog returns to the to the platform as if he's guarding that little bit of space um and i and i think it's a fantastic exercise um away from sport that we use that we can use with with resource guarding and with with dogs that um like to guard space because very often we don't give them an opportunity to perform that behavior when actually it's a behavior that's that's got massive intrinsic value to a dog like a rottweiler who's who's bred to do that um but when we're doing it it's highly arousing and it's really exciting and it's pumping into all the you know it's itching all those biological scratches um, Funny because and- you're, as you're saying this, not to interrupt you, but as you're saying this, like you were saying earlier that a lot of, that there are professionals who maybe are using, oh, well, we don't need to train as an excuse because the dog's like, this is what the dog's in, you know, uh, instinctual behavior is. 
Mm. And it's interesting because what you're actually describing, the dog is still using its instinctual behavior. And yes, you did have to teach the dog what to do because there were rules to that. So no one's getting hurt. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's, the, for, for me, I mean, the vast majority of behaviour modification comes down to basically that a lot of the time. Not always, but so often we see working breeds these days, we see working breeds that don't have an outlet for their behaviour. And when, rather than trying to suppress them or medicate them or like put them on such a high management situation where no training is involved, where the dogs don't have any access to that type of behaviour, I have so much success with teachers teaching the dogs like basically breaks and directions on that natural behavior in a way that is safe to the owner. Um, and that gives the owner a way to participate in the behavior with the dog through play. And it's, it's, um, it's frust- It's very frustrating to me because I think that there's, that the, the, the guys who are doing who are or who are not doing the training are giving the and I hate using this label like the people who use less or don't use tools such a bad name like such a bad like it's like it's it's such like it's like it's embarrassing sometimes to be part to be considered part of that community because I don't I don't train like those people I don't want to be associated with those people hmm because they're not training their dogs and I'm just about to give a whole bunch of uh, seminars in the UK um, and in a couple of other countries probably as well now um, about about using reinforcement and using rewards and different ways to use rewards and and so on and so forth and I, I, I really hope a lot I'm doing that at a lot of balanced clubs and I really hope that I can start to show that it's not that whilst there are so many myths and so much misinformation when it comes to like people who call themselves balance trainers and using those tools and using that stuff there's also so many myths the other side and there are these shitty trainers that are doing nothing and aren't training the dog and are are like over managing and over medicating but then there are a whole bunch of us that are doing really good work do you think that's because so do you think that's because you're doing a lot of sport training yourself, because I know for me, when I started doing sports four years ago, totally changed the outlook of how I started working with clients because I started learning different handling skills. I started learning how to work my dogs and then eventually like some other people's dogs differently. Um, And I just feel like the skills I took away from all the classes and workshops that I've gone to with my dogs has changed the way that I work with clients so much. Whereas I think if you're going to a structured program um, and just learning how to work with a pet or family dog, you're not learning those same skills. And so you're going to look at stuff differently. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I did st- I I did sports with Archie and I had Archie for what thirteen years, five five years ago, um, and so I've always kind of been involved in that sort of stuff. Uh, but and I do, so and I do think that it does it does definitely impact your handling skills. I think I think every trainer in the world should do some sort of sport, whatever it is. Like, it doesn't even matter what it is, but do some sort of sport because it does without. A doubt, I'm saying, do you think it maybe influences like? 
do you think it influences the trainer who like maybe doesn't feel training or teaching a dog certain skills is important anymore like if it's if if you're going to do a sport there are certain skills and foundation things that you're going to have to do in order to participate mm-hmm. so if you're not doing a sport of some kind what i guess i'm saying is do you think those are maybe the individuals who are not seeing that part of the picture yeah yeah i do and i do think that um i do think that those skills like skills just like basic skills like teaching platform behaviors like you know luring like really good luring like stuff like that i think is 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 a foundation that every trainer should learn like every trainer should learn that like like the mechanical skills like i look at a lot of the programs now um especially in the us actually and a lot of them don't really have any real they do have practical but you, but it's not that it's not skillful enough because I think it should be almost like 80% practical. But I love the science. I love the science, but the only, there's no point to the science unless it's got a practical application as far as I'm concerned. But this is point. That was going to be my next question to you. Do you think that like the, and it may be different in, in UK or in Europe, but like, do you think that the education programs out there are actually maybe in some way doing a disservice to what we do i think that's probably the under like the what do you call it an understatement i can't remember what the word is like yeah it's an understatement meaning it's like a bigger deal yeah i think that's like the biggest understatement of the year like i think that that's exactly what's happening i think it's especially the university programs like especially the university programs like it's it's heartbreaking really to watch people spend such a lot of time and such a lot of money going there not to learn how to dog train and in fact you know it's um it's mind-blowing that that institutions that consider themselves scientific would teach curriculums that are in in so many ways so insanely biased towards one specific perspective without educating people on other perspectives in any way shape or form it'd be like going to study religious education and only learning about christianity well but that's what it feels like a lot lately like it's religion and Mm. it's you learn prayers and mantras to say and you know even on social media like i haven't been as active on social media because you know i i love everyone i follow and i i like following along but it just seems like i'm just watching repetitive mantra after mantra of like just just saying the same themes and sentences and then people validating it and it's like there's almost no original thoughts it's just kind of people rehearsing what they yeah. were taught to say yeah and i think it's strange to me that someone can come out of a program like that and then talk so negatively about someone that's like been in the game for such a long time like even the whole certification thing I I know you like probably support certifications but it's like do do you think like Michael Ellis or Ivan like Balbanov like wouldn't pass a CPDT exam like People say, like, you think they would go and fail it, <laughs> like, uh-huh. not, not to, like, throw a specific organization under the bus, but they say it as, like, they truly believe that these people are, like, uneducated, idiot cavemen, when some of the stuff you're talking about, like, mechanics, like, 
some of the best luring, best play skills, best reinforcement strategies, best ways to motivate my dog have been from people that apparently are just like idiots that are abusers and are like, and I think that's terrible. Um, that's why I've been feeling the same way you have of not wanting to associate with this. Like, I don't even have a label and it's like, you know, cause I, and, and then I'm like, should I let people know I don't have a label and or should I make such a big deal of it? Does anyone even care? Because, you know, I don't have a social media based train. Like I, I'm not a social media trainer, right? Like if my Instagram got deleted, I, my income would not change. Like I'm training local people. And I don't know how you feel maybe that is also feeling some of this of like, you know, there are trainers now that I think are exclusively, not that there's like, look, I do virtuals, I pay for virtuals, I go to, like, it's a great thing to be able to do. But do you think like this newer virtual only trainer is also some, has something to do with some of this stuff? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. But then the vast majority of people that I know that train online train like like Forrest does, doesn't he? Like Forrest Mickey mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I've done a but I did a bunch of ones ones with him a while ago. And um and I think that they tend to be more mechanical, in my opinion. Well, really. but what I'm saying is you guys didn't start there. That's not what I'm talking about. I didn't mean to I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about like I just graduated a thing like yesterday and I've been a dog trainer for three months and like, I've been just doing virtuals from the beginning. That's what I'm saying. I was yeah, I, yeah, like, definitely. again, yeah. Like I will pay money to do a virtual with you to do a virtual for his Mickey to, you know, to do virtuals with people that have been in the game doing it for a while. But what I'm saying is like, there are trainers that go to an online university, get a certificate are now like, I have the best certificate and I know everything because I have the science on my side. And like, I'm going to create a whole online program and never actually go into anyone's house. Cause like sometimes yeah. like, I, I mean, I don't know. I live in New York. I don't think that my area is like wild. Like, I don't think the people I go see are crazy. And it's like, yeah. if I were to say even like half of the stuff that I see on my Instagram to like real humans faces, like I would not, I would be starving. I would be doing something else. Like I'd have to get a different job. Because if I like criticize them the way, if I meet, if I, I saw them have a tool and I said the things that people say, if I gave them some of the recommendations, if I was like, oh yeah, you're just going to like never walk your dog and you're going to just start medicating it tomorrow. And like, I don't want you to have people over and don't, but also don't use a crate ever and don't ever treat them because you need to like, let them eat all the time and like, don't exercise them because they might get hurt and don't play fetch. Like, it's like, they would be like, dude, get the fuck out of my house. Part of my language. Absolutely. Like, they would be like, get out of here. What, why am I, why are you here? Yeah. I've genuinely <laughs> been to, I've genuinely had clients that have been like, I'm like, well, what, are they, what, what do they tell you to do with your colleague that's biting people? Well, they said that we need to give them more choice. And I'm like. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, yeah. Well, that what? Is, what? Yeah. You know, what's funny is it, it's so interesting because it, it really, like when I, you know, sometimes we always think of like, we give clients a human perspective, but then we forget when we're giving, like when we're talking amongst ourselves and I always look at it. Like, I remember when I had a few people working for my business, I allowed one of my staff members to make her own schedule to like have more freedom. I figured, oh, you know what? Like, cause that's the type of person that I am. And I thrive that way. Mm-hmm. And she did horrible. Like she did horrible. Yeah, I would- she, she needed me to basically be on top of her, 
This is the schedule now. These are the days you work. These are the hours. And once that happened, she performed so much better for her. And was she happier? Say again? Was she happier too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I, exactly. I hate, there I was hate structure. choice. I hate it. I yeah. don't want to get, I don't, don't give me a decision. Tell me what takeaway we're having. Don't, yeah. don't ask me what takeaway do you want tonight? Like with, no, just tell me we're having a Chinese. Yes. That's enough. Yeah, it's like my, it's like my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law always says, I don't want to get yelled at. So I just say, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. Just tell me and I'll do it. And that's it. And mm -hmm. so some people, they, I think they like, they thrive that way. Whereas others don't, they need more freedom. And I think we, kind of forget that the reality is there are some dogs who need that structure, that instruction. And especially if we're going to talk about border collie or, you know, or like my Kelpies, they mm -hmm. need certain structure and instruction because if like yeah, my, my, my Mally's given choice or like your Mally's, both of you were given mm -hmm. choice. Uh, I think there'd be a lot of toilet paper rolls around the house there would be things being pulled off the counters constantly. If you're just, you know, like there has to be something there that makes it clear that this is okay and this isn't. Yeah, my my bullies, all, all the bullies that I've had fostering, as well as my own bullies, like if I gave them free choice, like my my street would be an abattoir. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it's just not, it just doesn't work out like that. And I, I think um I think a lot of it comes from, I think what it comes from. I think there's like, there's a whole bunch of different ways to do something. And when it comes to telling dogs not to do something, the idea of not using anything that is aversive or put, put, puts pressure on the dog doesn't really give us much, right? Especially not much effective, right? And I think there's been an ideology that's that's been really heavily pushed. And I think that basically, What's happened is that a lot of the people and a lot of the people coming out of the schools have been told if you color hard enough with this pink pen, it will turn blue. And so they keep coloring and they keep coloring and they keep coloring. And they feel shit about themselves because it doesn't turn blue. And they're like, I'm obviously not as good at coloring as I thought I was. I'm going to keep coloring it and keep coloring it. But it doesn't turn blue because it's not a blue pen. And you go to them, look, here's the blue pen. And they go, no, I can't use that. I can't use that blue pen because it's it's I've been told I'm not allowed to use that blue pen. And then when you really kind of knuckle down to why, they can't tell you because it's cruel. What, what, in what way is it cruel? Well, because it, it hurts the dog. You're like, you know, like we've got modern tools now. We've got modern approaches to tools. There's lots of different methods that you can use to use these different tools. We can, we can train it so that it isn't cruel to the dog, so that the dog fully understands what's happening, so that the dog has complete a complete understanding there's a real clarity from the dog with what's you know what's going on N no because it's cruel that it, but it's like there's, there's this like weird that there's so many myths the other day I shared a uh, video of a friend of mine who was training um and he had an e-collar on his dog and he had put um put two put two boxes on the collar right it caused mayhem because everyone was going, oh my God, that's horrific. One e-collar isn't enough. And I was like, no, 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 that's not that's not how it works. Like he's just evening up the distribution. So he'll have a much lower stim on both the boxes. Actually, it's it's much kinder. It's much, it's usually something that a more proficient e-collar trainer would do in order to um 
like build symmetry and in a more proficient e-collar user would do because they'd be using the e-collar in a different way they'd be using it on low stim rather than a high stim they'd be using it for activation rather than correction i can talk like this to you two knowing that you fully understand what i'm saying you heard it here first two e-collars is is more ethical than one joe rosie and that is the end of the episode it's been nice talking to you guys have a good night <laughs> but you know what i'm saying like, we're, gonna edit, know, we're just yeah. gonna edit what she said and have Vinny's voice right there that's, well that's where everything just gets lost in the nuance completely yeah. and that's why you know i i challenged a guest recently with like my ethics no longer lie in tools like i almost don't like that like the tool is like where we're setting the ethics because i, I see my neighbors doing shit with their dogs i would never do in harnesses that like i guarantee you if you gave me that dog on a flat on a flat collar or a slip lead or a pound collar that dog's life would be better with me than with them on the harness so like i don't even like the whole thing with that right anymore um and, and i will not limit myself to even using tools right like i will i will now use tools as long as it's being done in a way that i feel like the dog is not upset and fearful and scared and avoidant and like not having a good time so and i explained i explained to someone the other day i was like well there's different ways there's different ways to condition that and they were like what do you mean i was like well like for example if you're going to condition a, a, a prong collar i said there's there's kind of two kind of main ways or like two there are two kind of foundational ways that you can do it because you can condition it for correction i.e put a load of food out and when the dog goes for the food use the prong to tell the dog no you can't use the you know use it mm -hmm. or let the dog get to the end of the lead so that he goes oh fuck that's not very nice and then comes back or whatever i was like and then there's the other way whereby you can put out a ball and actually use it to jazz the dog up and and and, and use it so that it becomes like conditioned anticipation and that way you're using it more to motivate a dog and blah blah blah, blah. And it, it blew her mind she was just like i've never even thought like i wouldn't have even like how does that even but doesn't it really hurt the dog? Isn't it stupidly painful? And I'm like, no. Like, it, it, I, I was like, there's different, like, and that well, depends on if, like, if you want to use it for activation or if you want to use it for correction are two very different things. And you kind of have to make that decision to start with before you're conditioning it. And it's the same with the e-collar. And then, the, and like, and it's frustrating because they're like, how do you know all of this? And you don't even use the tools. And I'm like, I don't use the tools, but, but I'm not, I'm going to understand exactly all the nuances of them because otherwise I, I shouldn't be afforded an opinion. I was just going to say that I think that's where the um, going back to like the education system, that's where there's there are issues, because then when you have a program that is only aligning themselves in one specific way and they're not teaching or explaining stuff, they're only explaining the worst of the worst. And I know that because that's what happened when I was taught. And, and when I started like Honestly, when I started doing dog sports and I started being surrounded by people who were training differently and I started seeing how their dogs were with them, how their dogs were when they were training on the field or whatever the case was, or even off the field and they were just hanging out together, the picture that was painted was actually very different. And I think that that's part of, I think that's honestly part of the, the issue here is that you're not being taught like how to condition the tools maybe appropriately, even if you don't want to use it, you don't need to use the tools, but just to understand this is how someone's actually conditioning it because we're so used to, I say this all the time, we're so used to seeing the garbage local trainer 
that goes into the home, the client's complaining that their dog is a problem. Let me throw this fucking tool on the dog and we're going to light that son of a bitch up today, day one. Yeah. And, uh, and we're all, we're all surrounded by that. And we're not, we're not sitting there learning. Well, how do people maybe actually condition this more appropriately? But I think, I think that it, that's like, that's kind of like a, so for me, what, what I've learned over the last, mm, I'd say I've had like a real learning curve over the last 10 years with it, um, which is that just like what Vinny was saying a minute ago, it, it's, it's not about tools or not tools. It's not about, it's not about any of the stuff. It's not even, it, that there's like a thousand different versions of different methodologies and some of them are clear and effective for one dog and some of them aren't clear and effective. And it's so much, there's so much like fluidity in, in what you should use and how you should use it that we can't, that we're all just, we, we have to, at some point, we have to put aside all of that and just say dog trainer. Like th th there isn't another way to categorize it. It, it doesn't work in any other categorization system. It just doesn't. Like I've I've tried my absolute best to try and formulate some sort of a, well, where is the line in the sand? Where does it become, you know, like where is it abusive or where is it like there's clear cases of abuse on both sides. Like medicating a dog during adolescence, to me, that is abuse. Like that, there, there's no two ways about it. Suppressing a dog via sedation because it's a Malinois, to me, that's abuse. Mm -hmm. Like half the time using the fucking head haughties on those mastiffs where the skin is like squished into their face. I'm like, I bet you they're begging. I bet you they're begging. They're on their knees begging for a con collar. Mm. Like, you know, like there's abuse on both sides. And, and but I just think that the, the bit in the middle where people are training well, just needs to be like dogs, like it shouldn't even be a conversation that we have to have. And it's also back to the tool thing a little bit is especially when medicating a dog, especially at eight months old or six months old for the rest of its life and just sedating it or mm -hmm. killing the dog, like euthanizing the dog, like that's on the table. And I'm not, I hear the people running with the pitchforks, but like there are seminars and webinars, at webinars and meetings and how to discuss this horrible talk with your client, but then we can't talk about a specific tool. Like you can't teach people how to maybe use a prong collar, even if it's one out of a thousand dogs, but you're gonna teach people how to talk to people about killing their dog. And I'm sorry about making it sound so violent, but like it is like that. Yes, and there are dogs that get put to sleep because of behavior such as like biting the leash. They just get aroused and they bite their leash. And then that's uncontrollable and we can't walk them now and we can't manage it. So you know what, we're just gonna put that dog to sleep. If that is a choice, then like, why can't there also be a discussion about how to use tools properly? Honestly, in, in, in the UK, it's bad as well. Like it's really bad here at the moment. So the vast majority, I'd say 80% of rescues over here won't use a trainer that isn't purely positive. Hmm. They won't use it, they won't employ them. They won't uh, use them outside. They won't recommend them. Uh, and and for me, it's just it's just such a red flag because the other thing that we don't talk about anymore is time, because time time is such a huge factor. And people say, yeah, but you've got to be patient with these things. I'm like, no, you don't understand because time impacts ethics massively. Because if I have a dog that's stressed um, and anxious because let's say it's frightened of other dogs, 
or that it's getting uh, or that it's causing its owners stress and anxiety because it just wants to fuck other dogs up or whatever right and there's like three different ways to deal with this but one of them takes significantly shorter than you are significantly shortening the amount of time that the dog is stressed for and that has to have some sort of count towards how ethical that solution is considered like that has to have some sort of like some sort of count like if i like I've seen some of my friends who are trainers have, you know, you know, you get those like shitty woofy dogs that they hit normally the end of adolescence. They're often like American bulldoggy types that are just defensive naturally. And so want to do the whole, I'm going to have a little woof if I see someone in the street or I'm going to have a little <laughs> woof. And, and, it, and it escalates through bad handling to the point where they, they then, because the owners are put intention on the lead and, and basically like back tying the dog, doing everything in bite work that we would do to make yeah. that worse. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally like, let's get a defensive dog and put it back by the collar. And, yeah. um, and so the dogs naturally come forward and go, yeah. and, and, it, and it becomes like a real problem. And to me, like I, I, I see... Uh, trainers who train the way I train and that's that's weeks of work that's weeks of work to get that under under wraps and like I can I can get one of like I could get one of my friends who's balance trainer and put them on that dog and within a week that can be solved the dog can be happy normal having a good time not bothered the owner can be happy the dog can be walking on a nice leave no problem and to me when I look at like rehomeability uh like the breed predispositions the natural um personality of dogs like that um as well as things like the client handling and the how dangerous that behavior can become i i, I just think like why why are we why are we considering this like why is this such a bad thing i have a question when you were saying um like you could get one of your balance trainer friends to come in and it'll be resolved in a week or so. Okay. Why is that? Or what, like, like why, why do you feel that? Clarity. Is I think that's, I think it's pure clarity for the dog. And I think it's, I think it's clarity on a level whereby um, changing their behavior becomes obligatory. So the dog has to change their behavior. The dog's put in a situation where you say, no, 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 you can't, you can't get away from that. You can't do that anymore, mate. And it's it's incredibly clear i think we have to make sure that we've got the motivation of the dog right um like we're not doing that with dogs that are that are that there there's a level of fear and and anxiety and all of that kind of stuff where i i think that those those sorts of methods and those sorts of cases are um are are well designed for dogs that come forward you know for those dogs that are that are vivacious and who don't really give a toss who aren't barking because they're frightened they're barking because they are scratching that genetic defensive itch of i want to come forward and be suspicious of you and participate in a behavior that is really intrinsically reinforcing uh, it, it's um when behaviors are intrinsically reinforcing it's incredibly difficult to reduce them without without punishment like we know that from predation, like it's, it's, it's much harder. It's if I'm going to reward something else, 
that's all well and good if the thing that the dog is doing isn't too rewarding in and of itself. But when you have dogs who bark through defensiveness and things like that, that behavior is so intrinsically reinforcing. It feels so good to the dog. It gives off so much good chemistry. The dog feels amazing after they've done it. And we're gonna try and persuade them away from all that emotion, away from all those feelings with a cookie or with some food or by building a different response. That's gonna be significantly harder than saying to the dog, oi, you can't do that here. You, you, there's no there's no two ways about that. You can't do that here. You can do this and get a payoff, but you can't do that. It it it's it opens from my perspective when I've been watching these cases be dealt with in this way, it's opening a window for reward that is yep. really quick. It's just like the window's up, now we're gonna reward. Whereas the way that we're doing it without that window opening is really slow. And the more are, slow it, more reward is built through the behavior itself. What are you, uh, what are you like seeing? Like, what are they actually doing? So like, since we're on this topic, so like, what are they actually doing that they're getting the dog to have that window open up for them? They surf the threshold the same way that I would. Well, the, the trainer that I'm thinking of does. Um, so they surf the, the the threshold the same way that I would. So let's let's put this in real, like kind of like how to practical yeah. terms. Yeah. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna teach my dog an alternative behavior. So I'm gonna let's say I'm gonna teach him loose lead with distractions that aren't the trigger first. So let's say I'm gonna teach him loose lead and I'm gonna take him down the park that where there's people but not other dogs. And I'm going to do that loose lead walking around the people and we're going to do really well. And then I'm going to take them into an environment where there are going to be other dogs of distance. And to start with, I'm going to get them out there. I'm going to ask for that behavior. I'm going to jackpot that behavior. Yeah, well done. You're amazing. You're doing it a beautiful, like a distance away. So it's no massive drama, but you, you're aware of the trigger. We're getting the behavior. I'm going to get in as many, like I'm going to smash as many reps of that as I can with as many big reward events as I can. So I'm making it damn clear to the dog that you are getting the best day of your life while you're doing this. And I'm probably backing that up with loads and loads of verbal, good, good, well done, good, good, good. So I'm making it really, really clear. Now, for me, when I get to that threshold um, and I start to surf that threshold where we're much closer to the other dog and there is much more likely to be a reaction, I use verbal um, verbal feedback to tell the dog when they've got it wrong. So, for example, I'm then walking down this line and the other dog's a metre away from the dog that I'm working with and the dog that I'm working with reacts. I'm going to go, I don't know, uh-uh, no. And I'm going to walk the dog away. I'm then going to wait and and and, and hope that the dog can de-escalate quick enough, or that I've taught good enough recovery skills to get the dog back on the same page. I'm then going to really, really jackpot him and make it, you know, massively, massively rewarding for him to do the right behaviour. And we're going to go again. So, so I've opened like a tiny little window there by telling him like this isn't okay. But there's been nothing. There's nothing that's that's made it in any way unpleasant for him to participate in something that feels good. So he's participated in something that feel, feels good. I've taken him away from it and I've then made him feel good about doing something else. But 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 it's a very I think it's a very slight balance, isn't it? It's like it's it there's there's it's interchangeable, and particularly if the behavior that the dog is doing is really, really intrinsically reinforcing, like with like a game bred pit bull, for example, or something like that. The what I've seen being done with prong collars. Um, and with e-collars after the, the dogs or the dog's gone through the same training as I've described. However, they've also been conditioned to the e-collar or to the prong collar. So they've done that via correction. So whether or not that's food on the floor and the dog's been told they're not allowed to eat the food and the dog 
has gone to eat the food and then they've been corrected like by it and then rewarded for not doing it and so on and so forth the dog understands the premise of the tool that's being used prior to that occasion the dog's then brought into that occasion is then worked on the threshold exactly the way i've described except for instead of getting the verbal feedback they get a physical correction and in some cases i've seen them use kind of like a punishment event for that whereby the first correction is hard and 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 personal and the dog's removed from the situation it's very very clear that is that you are never allowed to do that and then in other cases i've been what i've watched where the correction remains fairly consistent throughout which one is better i actually even though it's probably controversial and not a very popular opinion i actually think the the first solution is often better because in my experience when i've watched those cases when the first punishment is a little bit harder then the dog doesn't do it again and that's mm -hmm. like one trial learning the dog then gets a jackpot for getting it right and the dog then goes okay that's just not worth my time at all but the case is so much quicker like those cases blow my mind how quick they are as someone who's trained in without using those sorts of things and who's always been told how cruel and how horrific they are and how bad they are when I started when I made the decision to go and start shadowing people that train differently to me in behavior cases my mind was blown with how quick when it's done effectively that changes so then why not do it yourself but well I've, I've thought about it a lot part of the decision is most definitely political um the other part of it is that I have spent the last, I don't know however long I'm old now, and I say 22 probably years, or, or at least 16 years, like really becoming incredibly proficient at what I do. Like I'm really good at what I do. I know I'm really good at what I do. And I know that I can I can create effective change very quickly. Like I'm just doing these case studies for a course that we're writing at the moment. Um, and like I've, been, I've done three sessions with each of the clients and they're, they're like they're done. Like I can I know I'm good at what I do. I don't think there's that many people that are very good at what uh, uh, at doing it the way that I'm doing it, um, if I'm honest. And what worries me is that it's taken me this long to be proficient enough using the things that I've got. If I decided to move on and use the tools, I worry that I would be shit at it. And then a whole bunch of dogs would suffer at my hands, not having the right timing, not having the right skills, getting it wrong. Like I'm learning everything I can about them without using them because I don't like if I if I was to use the tools, then I think that I'd just like I'd be a novice at it. I'd be a rookie. Do you think it would make you feel like you're kind of I don't want to say giving up on something that you were doing or like just because you've dedicated so much time to not using them. And then when you use them, like you almost feel like dirty or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, was gonna say dirty. <laughs> for I didn't sure. know any other word for it. No, 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 no. Like you're tarnished now. Or... Yeah. 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 I, I think there is that. I think there's, there's a couple of things. I feel like I'd be letting a lot of people down. If I'm honest, I feel like I'd be really like, like you guys probably see some of the shit that I get just for posting, just for just for training with balance trainers. Like, can you imagine if I actually started using tools? Like, I'd just get so much shit. Like, I'd get so much. I don't, I don't know if it'd be worth my time. The hard thing for me, though, is, uh, and I forget where I saw this quote. It might have been Michael Ellis. I don't want to say the wrong name and not give credit. But it was something about like putting the ideology ahead of the dog and like that really stuck to me because yeah, me too. 
you know, full, full disclosure, um, with my, my current Mally, he's the first dog that from the beginning as a puppy, I conditioned him and set him up to understand tools, even like way before I was going to use them because I was like, Hey, like if he's a year and I decide to want to use them, like I want to have had conditioned them for like his entire life. Yeah. Right? So, and it's been a struggle for me because it's like, I've not used tools for like, so, well, I was like a crossover. So I used tools a long time ago, like 15 years ago. And I used them, like you're saying, like, like it was compulsion. Mm -hmm. um, some of the worst corrections that I was taught to give my dog actually didn't even involve tools. It was like the scruffing and pinning and alpha rolling and like crazy, nasty intimidation type stuff. Some of the worst things I ever did was not even the e-collar or prong collar stuff I did back then. But so, you know, I got this Malinois and I was like, look, like, I don't know if I'll ever need it, but I want to show him these things from a very, very early age. So that if, hey, like, I don't know, he's a working line Malinois. I'm used to a Labrador. If I need it, I don't want to be figuring that out at two years old. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out and digest some of the stuff I've learned from doing that in terms of like, this has added a lot of clarity to my dog. He doesn't look like he's getting abused. He is learning things way quicker and way more reliably. And no, it's not because he's like scared of me. Yeah. You know, it's because I've been able, it's almost like bowling with bumpers up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, the bumpers aren't breaking the ball, but like I just have been able to go like, you know, like, this is the right answer. It's right down the middle. Like, if you go too far, like, you're not, nothing's going to happen. You're just going to bounce off of it. And guess what? You're going to go right back to the middle and you're going to hit all the pins. I, I don't know. I don't have another example, but. I, I totally, I totally understand it. I totally get it. And I I, like, I completely agree with you. Um, and I can think of 10 examples, particularly in sports training, where I know that I could have added clarity, especially for Blake. Like Blake's my polio 22 Mally, and he's a scrambled egg he's got just got he's just not got any clarity in his brain it's just not where he stands he's he moves all the time and he's constantly looking for predictions for things and flexing and he's poly a22 so he constantly moves and he's con he's got like a scrambled egg brain so he's always looking for signs to predict the next thing's going to happen and you know and, and and he struggles a lot with frustration and he struggles a lot with he's never been a redirector thank god but he's he struggles a lot with um with understanding something like with understanding with clarity a particular concept like he's just like I feel like I'm cheating with fiasco my younger dog because she's so easy compared to him um like it took me I, I didn't get him to 18 months but it took me six months to train and retrieve because he used to run in circles with his nose on the item just screaming just through frustration he didn't know what I want like he just didn't know what yeah. I wanted yeah. Um, and he's that sort of dog and and there's plenty been plenty particularly barking in different bite work exercises um plenty of times where I've 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 literally thought to myself I know I'm doing my dog a disservice here I know that not having not conditioned him and not using um a collar on him is what I'm doing here it it is if I was to write it down and present it to a university, it's the right thing to do. 
but in reality this is this is not very fair on him because it's so much less clear and like getting the decoy to stop when he barks and all that kind of stuff it just didn't it just doesn't provide him with enough clarity and he loves clarity he loves it mm-hmm. he loves the structure he, he's just that mm-hmm. sort of he's like lassie he just he's like just tell me what to do mum. just tell me what i'm allowed to do um and so yeah there has definitely definitely been times where i felt like it would have added clarity or it would have made something more ethical than than what I'm doing and I kind of hate myself for a little bit but that's the bit you can use I sort of hate myself um, <laughs> we're gonna put yeah that'll be the clip of like the actual episode when it's two collars, just... collars teaches dogs in one week and you hate yourself good See, we're gonna do uh, the one we're gonna do the part where about using the double brick e-collar and then we'll edit we'll add that piece in where i hate myself for not teaching him how to (laughs) that's just the right thing to do um it's it's a really tricky one because i do i do hate myself a bit for it but then in the same breath the thing the thing that stops me more than anything more than anything is this and that is that i am very very grateful for my position in the dog industry i've been I've worked hard for it, but I've also been lucky um, that I've been given such a massive opportunity to speak to so many people um, and to have such a reach. My concern is that the minute that I use something like that, I'm giving permission for a bunch of people that aren't qualified, who don't have the knowledge, who don't have the understanding to then go away and do it. And at the moment, without any sort of regulation, without any prevention of buying a cheap Chinese collar off Amazon and just whacking it on your dog and sticking it up and seeing what happens, that, that I, I can't, I don't, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'll be, I'll be, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be right for me to do that because sadly for me and my dogs, I'm a bit of a role model for some people and, and, so I feel like I've got a responsibility to behave in a certain way, which which I'm trying my absolute best to make it very, very clear my opinion on that, which is that I don't believe it is the best way if it's done properly. Wait, you, you don't know. believe it's the best? You don't believe like, it's the best way? Or you do believe like, it's the best way? No, I, I'm, I'm, I've got a responsibility to beha- to behave in a certain way that is that is considered the best way. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, okay. I, I, but I don't actually believe that training the way that I train exclusively without the consideration of all the other different methods and bits and bobs and paraphernalia and stuff that comes along with that. I think everything should be considered. I think every trainer should try and build as much knowledge and understanding of as many different methods as many different bits of kit whether or not it's a harness or a collar or a harness or a you know flexi lead or a e-collar or all all of it everybody should build as much knowledge across all of it as they possibly possibly can and use it use all of it in in the best way possible i think that's what would make the best trainers but at the moment if i was to if I was to move in that direction and, and 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 I was to do that, there's too much of a risk that people that that the sh- the shitty people would feel like that was permission, like ha ha ha, you know? Yeah, yeah, like they'll use it Which as I- cannon fodder to be like, see, we were right the whole time, or like now we can. 
But I feel like, I don't know how I feel about that because if you truly think that there are things that are going to help dogs, I feel like you can't avoid, like, because people are going to do crappy things no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they don't need, no offense, but they don't just need you to tell them that it's okay. Like, they're doing it. (laughs) They're doing it. Um, I don't know. I still think, I'm just a believer that, like, more discussion and more talking and more education is always the way to go instead of, you know, because look, like, when I, not that it was bad, but like when I was interested in learning how to learn about tools in the modern way, like I was going to, I was learning from all balance trainers. Who's to say that I wouldn't have loved a Joe Rosie course where I knew that the person was coming from a different direction and, and had science and had years of positive reinforcement. Like, like I would be interested to see how you would use a prong collar. I would. Yeah. Yeah. And I know how to use it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, but also maybe you would be the worst person to learn how to use the prong collar from because you've never used it. And then that's kind of where I'm at now where like in the beginning, I was like, man, I wish like some of these force retrainers would show how they would use the prong collar. And then as I educated myself and started opening up myself to like, oh, like, cause I still had that brain thought of like, oh, these balance trainers are just old school. I was like, actually, I don't really care about how Joe Rosie uses it or how not you specifically, but I would, I want to know from these people that are using it in an elegant way, yeah. you know, and not some cool. guy on Instagram that's like hanging a dog by his neck on the side of the road. No, like not that. And I agree. And that's how I feel about it as well. And I've been asked quite a few times whether or not I'll do a workshop on using tools and stuff like that for positive trainers. And I've always turned it down, but exactly for that reason. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, if you learn from someone, learn from, like, learn about using like motivational methods and toys and play and things like that from me. Learn about using that from someone who's been doing it for as long as I've been doing that. But mm-hmm. I have, I have considered lately, I have considered lately, I'm not doing it, I haven't decided. No panic but i have considered lately whether or not it's a good idea to team up and 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 do some stuff jointly with somebody who does use tools and stuff and and do something jointly like even like so going through a bunch of exercises and being like well this is how i'd train this and this is how i'd train this and how would you train this and 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 building a an educational course that that does teach exercises from both perspectives because i think that's a great idea I think that could that could really help everybody because I think a whole bunch of the positive reinforcement people would want to learn from me and it would give them permission to also see the other side but not necessarily have to do it and vice versa. And also with Lima, I know Lima is like no longer popular, but you know, like with Lima stuff, I know, you know, 10 years ago when I would try to progress through Lima, the way I would then use tools would be like so drastic. You know, because like the prong collar would be away and I wouldn't use it. And then I'd be like, okay, like we've tried everything else. So like now we got to use the prong. And then it was like crazy. Whereas if I would have used it, like balance trainers are using it, it was actually way less. Like I know like a lot of the first times I would be learning from a balance trainer, I was like, oh, that's all you're doing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I thought you're going to be like yanking their heads off and doing crazy stuff. So. Absolutely. But but all of these things are such massive myths. And I can see, I can totally understand there's such frustration in the balanced community about, about the positive community, because I think essentially what's happened, certainly in England, I don't know if it's the same in the States, is that the universities preach the science, right? And so because they're universities, and they have professors, and they get paid to make science. And they only teach positive reinforcement based methods 
And so that 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 perpetuates the idea that there is science that is ardently against the other methods, which which there isn't. Um, but it does perpetuate that idea, and therefore the the community that come from university or an academic type backgrounds tend to preach this idea of that the science is backing away from those methods. That's then perpetuated in law. So obviously there's quite a few states now and the UK will be soon, um, as well as a fair few places in Germany that have banned the tools based on the fact that the academic community who kind of feed the veterinary community, who kind of feed the rescue community, all then come together and go ardently against these things. And that feels like it comes from academia, that, that it comes from true science and scientific exploration and evidence when it doesn't. And so, so you end up with, with a, a cohort of trainers who, who believe that as well, and who then, then, then fully, fully believe, fully, like there's people that I meet who, 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 who believe it, like, as, as as hard as I believe that I've got blood in my body, they believe that that, that that there is science and everything to back up the fact that these tools are horrific and they should never be used and they're torture and all that kind of jazz. And then you've got the community of trainers who are using them really effectively and beautifully and brilliantly and um, and using them in a way that is is ethical and very, very well considered and not the same as it was 15 years ago when we didn't have the technology, when we didn't have things like a chameleon collar and a finger kick and and and, and didn't have these different methodologies to use, you know, activation instead of correction and like increased motivation with with tools and all this kind of stuff. You know, there's there's a plethora of different methods to use the tools now, as well as a plethora of different tools and different types of tools that are better and worse and then, more appropriate less appropriate but but all of that is lost to this community because the ideology is so strong and so backed up by professionals who who also believe it and those professionals are considered gods because they're they come from scientific background and so this side is actually much much stronger when it comes to things like law and when it comes to you know proper things and I can I can so see how frustrating it is to these guys because they go, but can you just stop and watch and actually listen to this and actually see it and actually understand it and then you won't feel like that anymore. But they won't. So many of them will just go, no, I don't I don't want to see that torture. I don't. Yeah, I'll leave. A, I was just going to bring that up. I was going to say that you know what I think is interesting is like your example of like what you're you were thinking of doing where you and another person doing uh like using tools like i the balance community i would assume is going to be all for that mm -hmm. because they also use positive reinforcement but i think that the majority of like positive reinforcement based trainers aren't going to be open to that because that's basically like well now i'm supporting this if i just go to that so I think like a lot of it, and I think a lot of it in a way kind of stems from one, like what you're saying, the science piece of the community and two, the education system too, because they're not explaining like the nuance or the detailed things. They're only explaining the worst of the worst. And it's also, know. say again. Because they don't know. Because yeah, the people who are uh, teaching in those universities, well, the last time they touched the dog was 1940, most of <laughs> 
Huh. And, and, you know, it's funny because I, I, I've said this to Vinny uh, a bunch of times and I was just talking to someone the other day. Um, I went out to dinner with them and I was saying, you know, like, I'm so tired of taking an online course about like what's supposed to be a dog training. And then you're showing me how to train a bird. Yeah. Like I want to fucking see you train a bird. Like I'm sure it's cool. <laughs> oh, everything. I'm sure it's cool. I'm sure it's cool and everything, but I don't fucking train birds. I train dogs. Yeah. People aren't calling to help them with their parrot. That's not what's going on. Now, if you go in the middle of the woods though, and you get like a wild bird to come swinging down and like land on your hand and you train that bird, like then I'm watching. And and maybe even then, <laughs> I mean, look, maybe at some point that'll be interesting to me. But but at like, and I see I see the crossover and everything. But at the end of the day, like, I want to see the methods that you're explaining. I want to see it work so that way when I go into a home, or I want to see you going into a home doing those things, so that way I can see. Well, is that going to work or not? The thing that frustrates me most about the multi-species thing as well is that it's it's used as a as a, as evidence, right? Isn't it? Yes. So yeah, that's then, my point. That that you probably well, said. If you, <laughs> if if you can if you can train a tiger, if you can train a hyena to give blood with positive reinforcement, why can't we train these little dogs? And it's like, yeah, have you seen them do that? Because there's a they're confined completely confined they have well no that was my point about the bird in the wild like go to africa and find a tiger that's about to chase and kill a gazelle and using positive reinforcement and a clicker teach it to stop and then recall and come to you and not kill you and then like walk next to your car in the african sahara and then i'll be like no, okay no, you've no, got no, Vinny, not in the skills. african sahara let's take it out of the african sahara and put it in a in a town as well yeah walk it down the street with our dogs right, say, hold on hold on yeah, we're, getting, we're becoming we're becoming extremists here for a second this is getting oh, crazy oh, oh my goodness i was just talking about fucking birds parrots the already tigers. in the we fucking are straight cage. The tigers. i'm not talking about fucking wild bears and fucking tigers <laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> but it's just not it's just not a comparison is it it's just not a comparison like there's just not this you can't use that as a as a as a way of saying let's you know like of course you can do and this is you can do anything with positive reinforcement it's that whole coloring with pink thing again you know like you can do anything with it because look you can you can train a, 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 a an animal in a in its in its cage that has no other opportunity and has got such bad like such little stimulation that it clearly shows stereotypic behavior like the vast majority of its day to do something for food that is very 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 low level for a very very small amount of time whilst it has literally nothing else and no other choices and it's like you can't really compare that to training fucking precision hill work for 45 minutes around a mondio ring field or teaching a dog not to growl when you go and pick up its stuff like it's just not it's just not the same <laughs> So we got to yeah, give that's... tigers more choice, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, tigers more choice now. <laughs> they need we more choice. them in the wild. Let them out gonna... of the cages. Hey, that's going to be the title. That's going to be the title of this episode. Tigers need more choice. Yeah, tigers need more choice. Right. You can give them opportunities. Like let the visitors in with them because you've got to give them the free choice. <laughs> exactly. So, so I wanna. So wait, I wanna. <laughs> I want to come back to reality. Where do you go from there? I don't know. <laughs> I want to come back to reality for a second. So like going back to like what we originally started with was um, 
the fact that there is this new movement or wave of not training. So what are for you, what are like, what are the benefits of training? And I'm not even talking about like, we could even water it down where we're not talking about precision work, but like, what are, what are like the benefits to doing training and teaching our dogs certain skills, life skills, whatever you want to call it. Freedom. For behavior modification and for puppies and for just your basic obedience training adolescent dog with some like adolescent issues. To me, it's, it's, it's always so simple. The more control you have, the more freedom the dog can have. Like it's it, in, in every single one of those situations. Like we've taken our dogs, we put them in this like weird little world. We've got all these weird expectations of them. Um, like like sometimes I think about the dog not pulling on the lean and the dog walking next to us and how how funny that would be if that was like a human. If you like you're only like, don't step in front of me, get back, get back. Right. <laughs> like, but but we have all these like weird little rules. Like I'm sitting at a cafe, you better lie down, you know, like <laughs> we have these funny little you're not allowed to stand up, you have to lie down. But we have all these funny little rules for our dogs that we expect them to know, which is fine because they have a really great life because of it. And the more control that we have over them, the more freedom they get to be themselves. Like really, like when people say like you should give the animal more choice, to me, what I hear is you need more control over that animal because then they get the opportunity to have more choice. Like my dogs all got really good recall so I can let them off the lead. My dogs have all been very well socialized with other dogs so I can take them to loads more places. My dogs behave really well in inside like civilized places. So when it comes to shops that are like iffy as to whether or not they let dogs in, I know that I can persuade them because I'll walk in and my dogs will behave exceptionally. But that's because I've got control, like so much control over them. But now I'm, you said something that made me just think for a second. You said, you know, like we have all these little rules. Like when I bring my dog, because we have so many clients who do this, when I bring my dog to the cafe, you better sit your ass down or you better be lying down there the whole time. And I can see where trainers that are trying to promote more choice and don't want to train where they're coming from in some way, because they're they're looking at it as if, well, like every owner that calls us, I need my dog to do this. This is what my dog's issue is. I need to fix that. And the reality is, is that some people are so extreme with that when they call us for help that I could see why some people are changing maybe the way they think or look at stuff because they don't want to look at it as, well, I'm going to teach you to fucking do this because I said it. And that the owner wants this. And now I have to teach you how to do this. And this is how it's going to always be. Yeah. But for me, those people are the exception, not the rule. There are, I don't think there are that many of them. Like not in reality. I think most people love their dog. Like, mm -hmm. like the vast majority of people adore that dog. And the vast majority of dogs love their people. And even when they're mistreated, they often love their people, sadly, because we've domesticated them so damn hard. And I think that most of the time it's just a happy compromise like the more obedient the dog is the more they love the better their life is like yeah. it's like sadly it is for them probably well I don't even think it is because we've domesticated them so so hard but the reality of the situation is that they live in our world not the other way around it's because like, also like I I know like for me when I get those calls 
you get, you're like, when you get those calls and you hear like the tone in their voice and the way they say it, you could hear the frustration, obviously, but it's also like in the back of your head, you're going to that home and you're like, Hmm, so I wonder how this is going to play out. Like, are they really like really, really serious about the way that they said it or like half more than half the time? Like once you start talking to them, Oh, okay. It is a little bit of a compromise. All right. We could do this. We could teach this and blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, like, it's all fine. Not, not like 90% of the time. Like it's not, yeah. like it's very rare that you actually meet an owner who's like, this dog has to do X, Y, and Z. And I, you know, it's just, it's just, it just doesn't really happen. Like people love their dogs. They need to know what options they've got. Like you, like I think the part of the time they just, they just want your permission. They like, they just want you to go, no, it's like, it's fine if he stands up as long as he's not fucking about cafe like it's no like we'll teach him the rule of lying down and then when he gets that rule we'll allow him to break it it doesn't matter that much as long as he doesn't mess about and if he doesn't mess about we'll see but you bring up exactly we talked about this before but i feel like sometimes by just telling the dog not to do certain things you actually give them more freedom and by like apparently not doing that and you think like you have more less control but you actually are controlling them more so like yeah. when i'm watching tv at night and i'm sitting on my couch I'm not randomly reinforcing my dog for laying down on his mat and keeping him to a place behavior. When he gets up and starts fucking with something, I say, knock it off. Yeah, and then definitely. he goes around and there's nothing else to do. And maybe he'll pick up a shoe and I'm like, can you just drop that? And he'll stop. And then he goes, okay. And guess what he winds up doing? He winds up going on the bed and laying down. You're like, I, my two dogs are down here right now. The jackass just went over here on his bed and he's laying down with a Kong. I'm not telling him go there. So like the dog at the cafe, like instead of sitting there and shaping it down and then sitting there and treating a bunch of times, not because I don't want to treat, just teach the dog, don't jump on the table. And like, yeah. I don't care about anything else. And then but the dog gets to stand, gets to spin, gets to go underneath yeah. your leg, gets to like, the dog is actually open to do so many more things versus if you're like, oh, well, I'm going to shape it down and then make this poor dog do a down. We're in working brain. Like that's my other thing with the treats is like, now that I'm against treats, I'm not against treats. I'm against keeping a dog in a perpetual working state where they're yeah, like, when's I, the I, next I, one? When's the next one? When's the next one? Like drooling on the mat. I talk, I talk about this with trainers a lot. Like I think the art of habituation is really important and I think it's often lost. And ultimately the goal in most of that, most cases is to habituate the dog, not to counter condition the dog, yeah. not to, not to sensitize the dog, which is what we so often end up doing. Like, no, it's to habituate the dog. We want the dog mm -hmm. to form a habit of behavior. And therefore, most of the time, when it comes to those sorts of situations, cookies are not where I'd go. Like, it, like for me, when I, when I, I cafe train all of our foster dogs and like, we're not like, the, I've done like 150 foster dogs in the last like three years. And like, all of them are super in that environment. And it's always the same. I go to the cafe, I put my foot on the lead. That's the end of the training. That's what the yeah. training is. Yeah. Like if, if the dog <laughs> shouts, is a bit of a fucker I'll, t I'll tell it to knock it off <laughs> like, come on enough now enough or you can go back in the car that's it like nothing happens here I'm not going like there's nothing worse than seeing people with a with a box of treats yes yes I'm like well, you're turning your dog into and now to be fair because we're sounding like we're like way on the other end of the spectrum and like nuance <laughs> lost even in a long freaking thing like this but like no, wait, wait. for the not uh, we just you just me okay <laughs> so it's just me uh, it's just me okay double boxes over here love you uh, we're gonna we're gonna call double boxes yeah exactly we're gonna go double box boxes over here it's got two boxes um you know for the first two months of my dog's life i met his needs i managed him i put him in a crate next to the couch and i gave him a frozen kong and then the next two months 
I made sure the entire room was spotless. There was nothing to get into except for a couple of toys on his bed. And then two months, like it, it took a year before I was actually watching Netflix at night and enjoying myself. But yeah. what I'm saying is like, you know, I didn't just like day one at 10 weeks old go, no, don't do that. And like grab him and tell him I, no, like it was none of that. I didn't do that at all. You know, I managed him and I set up the environment for success and I did all of that stuff and I built the relationship. And then on the side, I was training him to understand skills like through play and games. I was like, hey, when I say it's all done, like it means we're all done. And if I say to relax, it's time to relax, you know? And if I had him in a situation, I was like, you know what? He's only eight months right now. He still can't deal with this. I would just kindly get a frozen Kong and I'd put him in his crate and I'd be like, okay, you're going to go in the crate while I watch TV at 10 o'clock at night. You know, so it's like, I don't want to make it sound like we just like... I don't know, are going crazy out here because we're not. <laughs> it's 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 kind of um it's kind of an ongoing issue, uh, as far as I can see it as well, because I don't think it's just it's not just about that. I think for me there's a whole piece that's missing in a lot of trainers' toolkits when it comes to habituation. I think that that people like get stuck on counter conditioning, particularly in behavior modification. So let's say dog is not comfortable with people and so we're going to counter condition the people and I think I think I think trainers often get stuck on this point where they want to change the emotional response in their head from bad to good and I always try and remind people no 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 we don't what we really want is neutral and so we have to yeah. take next step where we've gone it's not they're not horrible these people so now we need to habituate the animal so that they're neutral we don't need to turn them into something that's good because otherwise often you end up putting the, putting the dog in a state of conflict where they then are, do start to become socially uh, sort of curious because it's been paid so well. And then the dog's like, actually, I'm still not actually that comfortable. Whereas if we just move, like, I think we should be looking for neutrality in, in all things if we can, um, whether or not it's settling at the cafe or behavior with other dogs or behavior with other humans or, whatever like neutrality is the goal surely can i ask so um <clears throat> you know like as we're talking about all this obviously if people are even still listening because you know at a certain point when we started talking about lions and tigers and bears we were probably like taking <laughs> all right we're done with these guys but like yeah, for the people who are dedicated for the people who are dedicated and still listening like could you like, maybe like, could you like give like your, your simple like steps for this example of like what you're doing with like someone who's going to the cafe and you want the dog to lie down without really using food? Because I think the thing is, is, you know, we're here talking about it and I hear in like my head, I can hear like, well, okay, uh, you know, you're saying we need to train again, but, and then you're telling us we need to train and we shouldn't just manage and that's it. But now you're also telling us not to use food. So like what, so like, mm -hmm. you know, right? Like Vinny's laughing, yeah, Vinny's laughing. <laughs> so like, like tell us like what those, what should they be doing then? Like paint the picture for us that way. Like there's a takeaway here as opposed to us sounding like we're bitching. She said before you just step on the leash and it's over. It's kind of, that's it. I know, I mean, that might be it. I mean. <laughs> you're lucky if you're lucky that is it but so for me training isn't as we all as you all remember from last year I'm ardently against Skinner I don't like the quadrant I think it's the worst thing that ever happens to dog training um and 
as a result of that, I'm not all about consequences all the time. And I don't think that's what dog training is. Uh, I don't think dog training is about giving rewards and, and, and punishments. I, that, that's, for me, that's just not what it is about. Um, so for me, it's about building pictures and it's about shaping context that cue concept. So it's about creating a, a particular context and these different rules and these different things that are always there in that picture that tells the dog that they are now in this particular situation and that these different concepts that they've learned now apply. So for example, I often get uh, clients to write the rules of each room. So it might be that the dog's only allowed in the lounge when they're clean and calm, that they're allowed to go in the kitchen, but they're not allowed to take food in the kitchen. They're allowed to do whatever they want, they want in the garden. They're like, because for me, good training, a lot of it is about building these, these kind of like very particular contexts. And for me, the cafe, what, when we're training, I see it as training, even though it's not necessarily giving rewards and punishments, because I don't think that's what training is. Um, so I think that for me, when I'm training, when I'm cafe training a dog, what I will most likely do is I'll exhaust them first, because essentially what I want them to do is relax. And if I want an animal to relax, I'll exhaust them. I will visit the cafe around midday because we know that all dogs, be it feral dogs, kennel dogs, domestic dogs, all have this pattern of behaviour where they have the least amount of activity between midday and three o'clock. So I'm going to make the most of that. And I'm going to take them to the cafe around that time. It also happens to be a time where it's not usually that busy. So I'm then going to take them to the cafe at that time. And to start with the first trip to the cafe, it's going to be short. I'm probably just going to have a, a coffee and that's it. Um, but I'm slowly going to increase how long that is. And during that time where I'm there, uh, there what happens is that I put my foot on the lead and nothing happens. Nothing happens in a perfect world. So if the dog isn't reactive and the dog manages, um, and I'm, and I say manages, and I do mean manages because sometimes, especially when I'm doing it with like a little puppy, you will get like a little bit of squeaking, like like or just like irritation. And I, I, I don't, as long as it's not over emotional, I, I I'm not worried about that. I don't see that as like this big stress thing. Like it's a stress inoculation, in that the dog's going to have a little bit of stress. They're going to recover from that stress and they're going to be stronger next time. Um, as long as it's recoverable and tolerable, I'm not fussed about that. So the foot goes in the lead, the dog is broadly speaking ignored, um, and the, the visit is very short, and then we go home and then we slowly increase that in increments. And if at a point the dog does start to get antsy, when they're babies, I'll put them in the car and take them home. When they become more uh, teenagers, I'll reduce the time that they're at the cafe. And then when they're adults, I'll then start giving, and I'm going to use this very, very lightly, some sort of a consequence to that. So, for example, if I was to take Fiasco now, who's a year and a half, if I was to take her to a cafe, um, I'll put my foot on the lead, she'll lie down. But if she was then to start getting like antsy and like maybe picking up the lead in her mouth, something like that, I would then say to her, nay, and I'll take her and I'll put her in the car. I'd say, if you're going to, if you're going to fuck about, you can go and sit in the van, like, like, because I'm having a puppy. Um, and then you would leave her in the van and go back to the cafe without her? Yeah. Okay. And I, and I wouldn't do it like it was a punishment. I wouldn't, like, frog march her and hold her ears. I'd, um, I'd just be like, come on, you can go back in the cafe. Because for me, for me, it's about teaching her that, that she's got a choice, that she can go back in the van if she'd rather. 
Like, and if and if her behaviour, her standing up and grabbing her lead becomes a cue for her saying, I want, you know, I'm going to go back in the van. If I, if it's consistent, if that consequence is consistent, then I can start taking it as read that when she gets up and she puts the lead in her mouth, that she's saying to me, I want to go back in the van. In which case I can go, yeah, that's fine. You can go back in the van if you want to. There are, there are situations where I say to her, nay, lay down. Because you, you can't go back in the van because maybe the van's really far away or I'm just waiting for the check or whatever. And then I'll, I'll give her a cue and say to her, I need you to do this thing for me now. But at that point, I normally don't mind too much if she, is in, in, if she does kind of go back into kind of that work and drive because it's usually only temporary. Um, but but that's, that's how I would train it. Um, if I've got a dog with reactivity issues, then I'm going to deal with those reactivity issues separately. I'm not going to start training my cafe behaviour until I've kind of dealt with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just it's building a picture, isn't it? Like I want my dogs to know. Like, and, and I do feel I do feel quite strongly that my dogs do understand that. Like, if I go to the park, even even I've been I've been in this house for three weeks, um, and and fear knows. Like when we go to there's a certain park down the road that I go to where I let her run right a little bit. Like I do send aways around the goalposts and like lots of like run running fun stuff and um, when the kids aren't there I let her go up the slides stuff like that and um um and she when I park up she gets out and she, she's not a lead puller at all um she's normally very good on the lead and but I let her put on the lead and she knows that and like I'll get out of the car in that particular place and she'll she'll kind of pull me to the park and I'm like not really bothered because it's normally super early in the morning um and i'll just let her off the lead go on then and she'll fly out down the field now if i take her to the beach on the other hand she knows that's not the drill at all and i'll get out and she'll walk nicely on the lead and i'll let her off the lead but she knows that we're walking down like the paseo so she'll she'll walk at my side and she knows that she's not allowed to run up to dogs she knows she's not allowed she won't have to have a lead on but she knows that i don't i don't have to cue her any of that stuff because i've just built those pictures for her like she just understands the context because i'm just very very consistent in those contexts and I think that some trainers some people have got so caught up with the idea of consequences all the time that they forget that that training isn't just providing the dog with reinforcement and punishment like training is so so much more than that it's it's building it's building pictures and responding in a way that creates a dialogue with the dog whereby you can talk to each other the whole day constantly without actually talking to each other but now don't you sometimes want to show the dog different things within that same context like what if you wanted to let them run at the beach or what if you wanted to actually walk them slowly you know you're you're what you're bringing up is leading me to think about leash walking a little bit and how people are teaching that and and how i kind of teach that and going back to the food constantly and that's a thing that i don't like to do a lot on with my leash walking um for the same reason like I will sometimes use rewards or have a reward events on a walk mm -hmm. but I don't want the dog that similar to the place thing is just and similar to actually having more less control like right. because my dog isn't just looking at me for like when's the next treat when's the next treat like I don't reward check-ins no, no, you no. know because I want my dog to be looking around like you can look around don't pull on the leash so like I just teach within a certain, you know, I do cue it because like I said, that was what brought up my question with your context is like, maybe I want to go for a walk and I want my dogs to pull and sniff, but then other times I don't, but the walk is the same or it's in the same area. So I'm just wondering if, if I have it, I have it on cue 
I have both on cue. I'll have like go yeah. sniff. I'll have like go to the toilet, which I use to like be quick. So I'll say go be yeah. quick. Um, <laughs> I have I have clothes, which yeah. isn't the same. I don't use it. That's not heel. It's just stay in my vicinity. Um, so I'll put, I'll put all that stuff on cue. But yeah. I like to the the context. If I if I have something on cue, then I'm more likely to give it a consequence. So if if I put something, so if I tell her go and be yeah. quick, she does goes and does a nice big poo, then I'll often reward her for it okay. because I've told her to do it and she's done it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Say, so, but but I agree with you with the loose lead. I think so many people are teaching the loose lead wrong, like not wrong, but they're teaching they're teaching the dogs to give eye contact and to check in. And yeah. and actually, again, it's it's that whole kind of habituation piece as far as I'm concerned. But again, yeah. you're teaching this very specific operant behavior and that's not what people want what people want is a dog that walks near them and i think sometimes when you have a dog and not to criticize the type of dog someone has but like oh like i don't know what the proper term is but a dog with less energy isn't doesn't want to work a ton mm-hmm. it, you can kind of get away with it but like you know one of the problems i have is like my dogs will be on me <laughs> you know, like I give my Malinois one treat on the walk and now he's like professionally healing next to me. and I'm not asking for it. And it's like, I almost feel bad that you're doing that. Like it's, it doesn't come from this place of like, I don't want to reward my dog and I don't want to give my dog treats. It's like, if I give my dog a treat, it's like watching an addict that yeah. then doesn't know how to do anything else. And by yeah. not giving him food, I'm actually doing it for him like I'm doing it for his sake of like dude enjoy like smell the flowers yeah. you know like enjoy yourself we're walking somewhere you know and and I think that we can be I think that certainly some trainers can be can, can fall into that and fall into that thing where they're where they're turning the dogs into workaholics and they not give that they, they make them work all the time yeah. and, and he like I said before like control should lead to freedom mm-hmm. like that's control should lead to if yeah. if i've got a recall on my dog and i've got a good close on my dog i can afford to let her off at the park to run riot because yeah. i know that she'll come back when i tell you but i want her to be able to do that stuff and she can't do that stuff unless i have that control um without that control she's on a line she's on a flexi lead i'm having to you know do, do all that shit which it just isn't fun for anyone um so yeah i think like the goal of everything for me is for the dog to ultimately understand I want the dog to understand. It's the reason that I don't mind. People talk. People often say to me that I talk so much in my training, like because I'm always like, "Good, no, let's do this." Da, 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 da. But I feel like all the evidence, all the scientific evidence, shows how well dogs understand tone of voice, how well they understand our expressions, how well they even understand our words. Like the same word in two different sentences sounds different to a dog's brain. And I think so. For me, I want I want my dog to have a authentic understanding of like the attitude that I've got whether or not I'm pissed off whether or not I'm happy like whether or not I'm emotional I want him to understand what I'm like what I'm saying and how I'm saying it and where we're going and what we're doing like I want the more understanding that he can take from the world the more of a partnership we are like the better we can can live our lives I don't want him walking down the road going okay when we walk down the road I give you eye contact the whole time now when we could mm-hmm. like that's for me that's that's not that's not giving him a good line mm-hmm. yeah i totally agree like i like i like that me and my dogs like sometimes sometimes having one dog here has been really cool and sometimes with fiesta i just feel like i've got like my best mate with me because like we'd sort of chat to each other and like like she she understands like if i'm pissed off about something i'd love 
great. And like, I can see her being like, oh, for fuck's sake. You know, like we just, because, because it isn't all about training. It's not all about like sit and now you get a reward down. Now you get a reward walking on my side. Now I'm going to pay you for that. Cause that's, that's not a relationship, is it? It's mm-hmm. funny because as we're talking about this, like, you know, one thing we didn't really talk about or jump into with all this is the fact that like teaching skills and training builds that relationship and that connection. And for dogs, maybe who lack confidence or are fearful, how much that can really bring out the best in them. So yeah. like, as I'm hearing you talk about, like, even just you talking with your own dog, like, I'm just thinking about, about that piece of it, how we haven't even touched on that. The fact that training really can create a different relationship with the dog. Yeah, it's like a hundred percent. Like in relationship, it's a circle as well, isn't it? Like for me, relationship is everything. Like mm-hmm. it's every, the amount of clients I have, I'm like, like, because obviously I train dog trainers, not owners the amount of dog trainer clients that I've got I'm like your relationship isn't good enough to be doing this like you need to go away and build on your relationship before you come back to me like but go and build on your relationship I can give you a bunch of exercises you can do that are going to help that but but your relationship isn't here to do this training because it's like the foundation of everything you do is emotion isn't it like it's what we want from the dog and it's what we give the dog and it's what the dog gives us and that comes from from relationship and 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 it like and like for me, the more authentic the relationship, the better. I don't think I've always felt like that. When I had my first dog, I think I tried to hide whenever I was angry. I tried to hide, like like well, that's what I was taught. I was taught like you know you don't you don't ever get angry with the dog. You don't ever get um, stressed with your dog. Like your dog can tell when you're upset. So maybe you know put them in the crate while you go and chill out, and then get them out and train them. I think that's just stupid. I think you should just be authentic and real with your dogs all the time. Like just like just respect them. Just make sure you respect them when you're doing it. Because I think that them having a truer understanding of your emotions and where you are and what you're doing builds that relationship. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Like it's and and, and like you say, like tra- training when you enjoy training as a dog trainer, which I hope that you do if you're a dog trainer. Um, but when you enjoy training it basically gives you a hobby that you both love doesn't it yeah yeah that's for sure like i mean that yeah that and i think it's yeah because i know like from experience with quest like we she i got her hoping to do both herding and agility and she didn't like agility and it made it very difficult for me yeah and then like yeah and then Vinny just like jokingly was like oh you should look into like the bite work stuff and I was like yeah he came to my house and I was like ah, like let's just do tug <laughs> let's get into bite stuff <laughs> yeah so um yeah I mean once you find that thing that the both of you can enjoy together how much it you know how much it changes that dynamic but don't you think that's the same in human relationships too yeah. do you know what I mean like like if you like if you and your partner both stumble upon even something really simple like a tv series like you know when you both stumble upon a tv series that you both love and you're like i don't know like whatever game of friends or whatever and you're both like this is brilliant that you like you totally bond over it and it's it's like a different level or if or even better than that if you both find something like i don't know i haven't really got an example um but like maybe dog training or or like rock climbing or anything 
yeah and you you try it out and you both love it even or it doesn't even need to be like a romantic partner like even your friends like you both you both go to a spin class and you're both like this is brilliant not that anyone likes a spin class but, <laughs> but like it totally bonds you it changes your relationship yeah even if you guys even if you guys do something one time just to do it like not joining a spin class and then becoming spinners in the class or rock climbers but like going axe throwing for a night or like going canoeing one time you know because like I hear people being like oh well like why teach your dog a sport and they're doing things that they don't care about doing you know like it doesn't necessarily have to have a meaning you know like it could be literally anything like you and your dog can do like I don't know teach it to like explore something in a box like it doesn't really matter what it is you know you know the sports are just they're just parameters so that everyone's playing the same thing Mm -hmm. you know because I can see the perspective of like why are you teaching a dog to jump over something and like why especially if it's a dog that wasn't bred to do that thing or if the dog hates doing it then yeah maybe you know just to kind of steel man the other side's argument of like don't train and don't you know why do anything but I really feel like there is and it's it's interesting because I feel like a lot of the issues that I see cropping up are because of the lack of that and then it's like we're looking for reasons why and it's like dude like you're like talking about not doing a thing that might just be the reason why the thing you're upset about is happening or the thing you're like so you know upset is growing is actually there in the first place and I think that it's a it's like in other things too I feel like like it's there's this sometimes it's like glorification of like mediocrity or like not like I guarantee you if I made a post tonight I found a new dog sport and I want to train my dog in this sport or I made a post that was like you know as a dog trainer I've decided I'm not going to train my dog anymore I just don't think that it's it's right guarantee you like which one of those posts do you think goes viral and gets like tons of likes for sure the one where I'm like I don't think anyone should train their dogs anymore like that would be no one would care that I was doing fly ball with my dog they they, you know what I mean it's just it's very bizarre to me um yeah the one the one that I really hate is um yes I'm a dog trainer no my dogs aren't very well behaved but that is because when you come home from training other people's dogs all day the last thing you want to do is train your dog that that's my worst one that's the one i'm like carrot shut up like that's just not but especially when they say that they're using the methods that are like the most cutting edge and most effective and better and science and like like it's that's the binary that's very confusing to me either like pick a side either you're gonna be like you know what this is nicer for the dog and like maybe I won't get the same results like fine but don't be like this is better and the best and my results are great but like I don't have results because I don't care about them yeah I, I know I know. <laughs> you know for me it comes down to two things like for me the most the thing that I that I think is is important is for everybody to remember that their dog is their front window. Like there is their shop window. That your dog is your shop window when you're a dog trainer. Like mm-hmm. I if I was training owners at the moment, I could literally I could drive down. In fact, I've been asked by so many people because I've been training in a lot of urban environments lately around here. 
like I'll go down to like the industrial estate where there's like carpet right and all these kind of shops and I'll train out there on the on the forefront just because it's a nice big space um and I'll take fiasco off the lead and I'll train there and I've got a couple of training buddies actually from my my club and like we will go down there and we'll meet down there and train our dogs and we'll get 30 people probably say do you train dogs for it like you obviously train dogs for a living can I can I give you like can I give you a call because I've got this problem with my dog like like that is the way you get clients that's the best way that you'll ever have to get clients is by having a decent dog like for sure Mm -hmm. Uh, and then and then the second the second thing for me is that if you're a dog trainer and you can't get your dog out and show me your training then it, then I then I'm not going to believe that you could do it. Like, like it's as simple as that. Like it's your you live with your dog all day every day. Like dogs don't have to be robots; they don't have to be perfect. But like, just like shut up and get your dog out and let's see. Like if your if your methods are fantastic, then can I see your dog? Yeah, that was good. I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about to wrap up or end on. No, I feel like that's been therapy though. So thank you. Good. <laughs> I feel like that's that. I feel like Always I here to help. <laughs> I feel like I need some therapy. Uh, so before we go, just let us know, like, tell everyone where they could find you. I know you have some new things coming out, so let everyone know about that stuff. Okay, so you can find me as usual on the School of Canine Science. Um, we're just about to start year three of our three-year behavior course, which is all case study based, which has been super fun because it's meant I've been able to do loads of practical case studies and just have camera people following me around um which has been really nice i've really enjoyed it because it's so hands-on um so you can find me there but you can also find me at the jrh academy which is a new business i've launched uh since moving back to the uk because i'm now traveling around and doing a little bit more in-person stuff as well um so i've got a a workshop two-day workshop that i'm touring at the moment which is called 10 Hacks to Up Your Reward Game. Um, and it's a practical workshop over two days with 16 handlers and usually between 20 and 40 auditing spots. And I'm doing that all across England. I'm doing one in Wales, one in Scotland, one in Ireland. Um, and then I think I'm also doing one in Germany. I've been invited to do one in Australia and a couple in America. So I'll be dancing around the globe, probably doing them. Um, and then I'm also doing kind of some online uh one to one stuff as well which I'm quite enjoying at the moment um yeah which is fun but that's I think that's it and then you can find me on my social media stuff on Instagram I am at H. on TikTok I'm make your malinois and on Facebook I'm Pit and co um and probably Instagram's what I'm using most at the moment so I'm making sure that I'm putting training up every single day Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. As always, amazing to have you on. I really appreciate it. It was crazy. <laughs> Technical <laughs> difficulties. Sorry. I feel like I've been drunk. So Only 3 a.m. there. You're fine. You're fine. Oh, boy. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Canine Classroom. If you like the show, make sure to smack that like button, share the show with your friends, and give us a rating. Until next time, class dismissed.